Welcome to the Fully Restored Podcast. Christians often struggle to talk about areas of deep hurt like trauma or abuse, shame or betrayal. These are deep soul wounds. Friend, Christ came to not only heal us from our sin, but from our soul wounds as well. My name is Kristen Klaus and I'm a licensed professional counselor and author. And my guest and I are here to walk with you on your healing journey. We see you and hear you. Friend, if you hang with me, apply these truths to your life, you will be on your own path to a fully restored story. Grab your coffee, tea, or favorite drink, and let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Kristen Klaus, and you're listening to the Fully Restored Podcast. Today, I'm joined by my guest, Angie Bauman, and Angie is a trauma and abuse survivor who speaks openly about her ongoing journey towards deeper healing Friends, you are going to be blessed by her story, by the tools and the things that she has to share with us. And I am so excited to have her on our show today. Welcome, Angie, to the Fully Restored Podcast. Kristen, thank you so much for having me today. It's wonderful to have you. So Angie, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, the work you do and your family? Absolutely. So I'm a pastor, Bible teacher, podcaster, author. I wear a lot of ministry hats. I love being in ministry and I'm married to Matt. We've been married 23 years. He serves in higher education. We have two boys. Alex is 17, almost 18, and he's about to graduate from high school. So we're entering a brand new chapter of parenting and season of our lives with that. And then we have a little guy, I call him my baby, but he's definitely not a baby. He's 12 and he's a sixth grade middle schooler. And we live in Southern Illinois and in the beautiful Shawnee National Forest. It's lovely here. And, you know, that's what I do. And I also always feel very led by the Holy Spirit, as you just said, to say who I am at the core, you know, and I am a, I am a trauma and abuse survivor. And I'm someone who carried a lot of shame for a lot of years. I've covered what happened to me with bad decisions. I've covered what happened to me with religious legalism, with productivity, with thriving with striving, not thriving. And now I'm, I'm at a place where I can really say that I am most days living out the promises of God in my life by being more in agreement and in alignment with who he says he is and who he says I am in him. Amen. That is the pastor in you, because I feel like I could say, keep preaching it. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So thank you so much for sharing. And wow, what a testimony. I, in fact, that just gets me so excited just to jump in to your story because, you know, there's so much, I, I believe that you have to share with us today. So Angie, could you share with us the story of your childhood? Like, let's just start where it all began. Yeah. So I grew up a preacher's kid in an itinerant system. And so what that means is my dad was appointed one year at a time to a church and we didn't move every year, but we were up for move every spring. We would find out if we were moving again. And so as a young girl, I moved quite often, which was pretty challenging for me. I was a shy introvert and I always kind of felt like I was on the outside, if you will. And so that, that created sort of this vulnerability. I lost my grandparents pretty early on. I did not have strong relationships with my extended family. I was always the new girl. And so I just kind of was always looking for affirmation that I was okay, affirmation that I belonged. And when I was 16, I found that affirmation 
I thought that I had found that information in a relationship with a high school teacher. And I was 16. He was 40. He was our band director, a very charismatic man, a very beloved teacher in that small rural high school that I had not been in very long. And he took an interest in me and groomed me and seduced me into a romantic relationship that lasted about nine months. And then when that relationship became public, one of the things that happened in that small town is this group of people was really left to make what I think, what I imagine, I don't like to make up stories, was just a really difficult decision. Do they believe this young girl who hasn't been here very long and the story that she's telling, or do they believe this man that they have known for a long time and who has done really wonderful things in their school? And it was one of those situations where they completely rejected the story that I had told. And I really left that town because an abuser isolates. I had given up a lot of my relationships already My family did not, I think they were doing the best they could, but they did not know how to talk to me. They did not know how to talk about what had happened. They were very embarrassed in that community, I think. And my father being a pastor there and how did we let this happen? You know, it was just, it was a very difficult time. And I, I turned 17 in April. I graduated high school in May and I left for college pretty much Kristen as alone, definitely as alone as I've ever been in my life. And I think about it as alone as someone can be with no, really no support, no faith community, no friendships, no strong family connections. And I began to try to rebuild my life in a way that, you know, I could get my feet under me again. And and it, it was a really, really dark and lonely place for a long time. You brought up a few things that just triggered some thoughts on my mind. And one is, first, before we even jump in, I am so sorry that happened to you. But your story really speaks to how the grooming process is and how schools and churches are actually the two most vulnerable places for sex offenses to happen, because, you know, outside of home but the school and churches. And what happens is often a teacher who gets accused or a pastor who gets accused because that does happen in the church or somebody in the staff in the church or a leadership in the church or a position in the church, they're actually usually just kind of encouraged like a school, they'll send you to a different school or a different school district and they don't deal with it. Now things are changing, but the those are the two most vulnerable places. I've been through a lot of training about that, actually, about schools and churches. And us coming into this interview, I didn't realize that it was um, a band teacher who had sexually abused you. Mm-hmm. But that speaks to, I just feel like there's a listener out there who's going to say, yeah, I was in that position and they didn't believe me either. Yes. And you know, one of the things, and with your training, you can probably speak to this better than I can, but one of the things that I have learned through some counseling and reading and time is that, you know, the abuse, the active abuse that happens to us is, is awful. However, the response when we tell our story is equally, if not more so awful, because I really believe that I made peace with my abuser and the abuse that happened to me a lot lot earlier than I was able to still struggle to, if I'm completely honest, make peace with the response that the adults who watched that happen and even watched a pattern of abuse for years happen. Uh, once, once my story became public, other people did reach out to me and reach out to the, 
tell their story in the investigative process because it was the police were involved and the Department of Children and Family Services was involved. And it was a big deal at the time. And other people did say, this happened to me too. And yet the community simply could not embrace that. And they had, you know, even one situation that is, there was a rally where people were there reading letters of support and people were clapping and cheering and they held up signs in support of him. And they called me a a liar and a marriage wrecker and a whore. And Kristen, it's from that place of rejection in that moment where I was witnessing all that going on. So many of my decisions, and it took me so long to realize that so many of my decisions have been made from that place of rejection and how I'm responding to that years decades, even after that had happened. And so it is so important for us to know this is going on and it does happen. And yes, thank goodness things are changing, but there are still a lot of people that are hurting from this kind of abuse and response. Yeah. And the, the response is actually abuse. Like it's, it is as it's as well, it's verbal, it's emotional abuse, but it is. You know, my story is different from yours, but I was actually a teenager on one of the sexual abuse. I had multiple that happened to me. And the same thing for me, the town was split. I had those that believed me and those that didn't. And it shouldn't have been public. It should not have been public knowledge of what happened. Just like for you, it shouldn't have been public knowledge. When you went in to file a report, you were underage. And your name should not have been released. I am so sorry for what you went through. And I have to say this one thing that over the years, our um, governments, our police departments, the judicial system has changed to where there has been a better improvement on um, how things have taken place. And um, I don't know in your situation, mine, there was only statutory rape and rape, which they called real rape. And so statutory rape, they said, was not real rape, which that's just crazy in itself to think that that is not real rape. And so statutory was, in my situation, I knew the person for a night. And so it was considered statutory rape and not real rape. And so the system has changed a lot. However, the abuse that what happens of how a community rallies behind, and I've seen this in multiple situations, rallies behind an individual who has assaulted someone. And we need to understand the grooming process is not just for the victim. It's actually for the community as well. A community is groomed. That band teacher who did that to you, he didn't just groom you and other girls that he assaulted. He actually groomed the community so that they could believe, oh, he would never do that you know, and you're the isolated one, you're the outsider. He targeted an outsider because you were new to the community. So he knew what he was doing. And so we need to recognize we can't be quick to say, no, they would never do that because we don't, we don't know, you know, when somebody, there's so much focus about that girls falsely accuse people. And that is a very, very small percentage that are false. But the community as a whole believes that that is a high percentage. Oh, well, they're just lying. You know, that, you know, she's just manipulating. She's trying to get something out of this. She's trying to get attention or whatever. And when instead of looking at who perpetrated this against you. So, Angie, 
tell us about how God is, you know, talk to us about that abuse in your past, but how is God healing your heart through all of this? Because it's not just one level of hurt you have. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting because I, in the initial, you know, I would say the first couple of years, two, three years after that, I made some destructive life choices, if you will. But then I really tried to earn my goodness back. I don't know how to say that a better way. I just decided actually I have to not only cover for what happened to me then, but the things that I've done the last few years. And I always, I always had a relationship with Jesus. I always did. I never stopped going to church. I never stopped believing in him. But the one thing that I did understand was that I thought that I understood, this is a lie, that I had disappointed him so greatly that I needed to earn his love back. And so then I began to just really work for approval and eventually work in ministry and work in the church. And there was a lot of good that came out of that, Kristen. My heart was was sincere in wanting to please him and wanting to work for him and wanting to bring him honor. But there was always this shame that was, that was like in response to shame instead of in response to grace, if you know what I mean. And about 11 years ago, my family of four, all four of us were involved in a head-on car crash and I was hurt very badly. And my older son was hurt very badly. Uh, we had eight surgeries between us. We had, I had nine months of rehab following it. I didn't take care of myself. I didn't walk. I didn't move from bed to wheelchair or anything. I had to have help for everything. My older son, both of his arms were broken. And so he did not take care of himself. He was six years old at the time and didn't really take care of himself yet anyway, but needed help for everything. And then our baby was seven months. And of course he didn't take care of himself at all. He had to actually go live with my mother for a while after the crash. And it was a time where everything that I had been controlling and all the balls that I had been keeping in the air to prove my worth suddenly came tumbling down around me. I didn't take care of myself. I didn't take care of the church that I was serving or the people that I was shepherding. I didn't take care of my children. I didn't take care of my marriage. I didn't take care of my home. It was just me. And without the things that I was doing and the things that I was taking care of, I was in a very low and broken place. Not only was I physically broken and I had these injuries and things that had to be overcome, but I also just, my heart was just completely shattered. And I remember well, when God really got a hold of my heart in that low place, what we did every once in a while, and I always say there's probably an app for this now, but what we were needing to do every few days was a group of people, close friends, family that were sort of like covering the things we need, getting groceries and taking care of the baby and running people to doctor's appointments and all the things that we couldn't do on our own. They would bring their calendars and sit around the table and talk about, well, I have this and I can do these hours and I can help Angie with this. And I can, you know, and all this was happening. And over time, as those meetings, those gatherings kept happening, more resentment was building in my heart because I just was so like mad that I, that, uh, that I couldn't do any of this. Right. They didn't even need me at those meetings. I wasn't even, nobody needed to even know what I thought about them. And I had this resentment about this place that I had found myself in that sort of the, the meeting sort of represented that resentment, if you will. And I remember one of the gatherings that people had come to do this very thing. And I had asked my sister, I didn't want to hear it. I'd ask her to bring me my iPod. They had propped me up in the corner of the couch in the living room. And I asked her to bring me my iPod and I just put my earbuds in and I was uh, shut it all out. And the song uh, Born Again by Third Day came through my earbuds. And I remember listening to Matt Powell sing, Today I Found Myself. And what I found was so surprising because the man, he sings the man, the person that I found wasn't at all who I thought I'd be. 
And he sings about being born again, feels like I'm born again, feels like I'm living for the very first time, for the very first time in my life. And in that moment, Kristen, I could just feel this invitation, this warm, loving invitation where the Lord just whispered so gently in my heart, in that broken, scared, lonely heart. And he just said, you know, I feel like you look at all of this and all you see is the brokenness and the ashes and everything you've lost. That's all you can see right now. But I promise you, if you will allow me into this process, I will bring you a joy and a healing and a peace that you have craved and you have been striving for and you cannot find, but I will do it in your heart through this. And it did not happen. That's been 11 years ago. This has been a long road for me. It did not happen overnight, but something in my heart shifted in that moment. And I began to feel like I said, that invitation to really lean into what he wanted to do. And what he wanted to do ultimately was take me back to some of this, that, that moment that I'm living from, right? That moment of rejection with the signs and the clapping and the you're a liar and really invite me to see myself in a very, very different way. So that was, that was a real turning point for me in the journey. Yeah, because those signs and those words and images and things from when you were 16, 17 years old, those became the defining of your value. Those defined your value instead of God defining your value. And so you were trying to basically do penance for all these years. And one of the things about abuse, whatever type of abuse that you come from, because it's not just sexual abuse is often one of the characteristics of an individual who's been abused is they can be controlling. People may get frustrated, you know, why do you have to be in control of everything? But they don't understand the root of it. The root of it has to do with the abuse that things were out of control. And if I control everything, then everything will be okay. Everything will be fine. They won't be hurt if I control my my family, if I control the children, if I control my husband, if I control at work, if I do this, then everything will be okay. And I know it's going to be okay and nothing bad will happen to them. And here, literally all the balls came falling down. Everything that you had been trying to control came falling down. And it was literally God saving you through that accident. Yes. Absolutely. I have no doubt about that at all. I never thought in those early weeks and even months that I would say this is the absolute best thing that could possibly have happened to me, but it is. It absolutely is. And I praise him for it. It was a very difficult journey and it was really hard. And I will not, you know, mask that with any flowers. It was awful, but it was also the catalyst through which God has brought me to a very, very different place. And I'm so grateful. So in that moment, when you had that encounter with God, and it was through the third day song, and and God just really started speaking to you in that moment in your pain, was that your fully restored story moment? Because that was when that moment where you found hope in the middle of the darkness, that's when that light kind of pierced through and, and you began the journey of healing. But was that where you felt there was that fully restored or is there more to that journey you went through? That is the clearest change. That's when the, the, the road took a sharp turn, if you will, you know? And so I, I think, yes, that's the fully restored moment. And what I've done in the, you know, the 10 years since then is continue to listen to him, 
to be curious about why I behave in a certain way, to watch for when I'm trying to control, to watch when I'm overreacting to something. I pay attention to when I'm hypervigilant about something and I continue to have like a greater span between those reactions, if you will, and a quicker recovery. And so I think I'm in the process of being fully restored. And yet I also live in confidence that I am fully restored because he is in me and his restoration and his redemption. I remember another moment that's been so key for me in this, when I first began to talk about this story, because I hadn't, I mean, you know, 25 years had passed. I didn't, people knew about it because it was public, but I didn't talk about it. And I certainly didn't talk about how it still impacted me. And I remember one morning when I was in a, in a Sunday morning uh, sermon that I was going to share pieces of this story for the first time with some people that I, that I served. And I got up that morning and I just told the Lord very honestly, I'm like, they do not need my sad story. Like, I don't even want to do this. I think I'm changing my mind. No one needs my sad story. And so lovingly and clearly he opened my heart to the truth. No, they do not need your sad story. They need your redemptive story. That was a fully restored moment for me also, Kristen, because it made me understand. It helped me understand that allowing people into the process, even when it's messy and it's not perfect and it's not in my control sometimes, uh, is a redemptive story that can point people to Jesus. If he can do this work in me, he can do this work in you. And that's the message that I hope that my story shares. Yes. So let's, you talked a little bit in there about recognizing some symptoms and things you do, like, you know, being hypervigilant and some other things. Let's talk about triggers because I know that's something that you teach on. So why do you talk about triggers when you minister to others? I talk about triggers because I begin to recognize in myself that sometimes I would, especially in my parenting, I would yell at my kids for something that, and I don't, I'm not a yeller, but I would yell at them. There was something that would happen that would, that would bring up anxiety in me that created this sort of response that I just wasn't proud of. It wasn't their fault. The situation, the thing that they had brought me, the problem they had created, the mess they'd made, whatever, did not deserve. It might have needed to be dealt with, right? But it didn't deserve the reaction. And I began to get very curious about that. Yes. And so over time, I developed this system for myself that over the last couple of years as I've been talking about it a little bit more openly, I've realized also kind of can help other people if they're recognizing that kind of behavior in themselves too. So let's share about that. Those, you have five R's that can help us talk about our triggers. So share that with us. Yes. So step one is to recognize first Peter five, seven, and eight talks about cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And only recently have I begun to kind of connect those two things together that really this stay alert and sober so that we are not as interesting or not as vulnerable uh, to the attack on the enemy is really about noticing, recognizing anxiety and casting it on him. And so the first step is what does anxiety feel like in my body? For a long time, and I laugh at this now because a long time, I didn't think I dealt with anxiety. I didn't think I was an anxious person. But then when I began to recognize, oh, when my breathing changes like that, when I begin to sweat and I don't understand why, when my mind starts buzzing, when my shoulders get tight, like something's happening in me, my body is responding to something. And so how do I become curious about that? How do I become aware that that's happening in me? Okay. And then the next one. Yeah. Step two is reveal. 
this is connected. I connect this with John one five that says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. When we feel our anxiety rising, can we ask ourselves the question, what am I believing on the inside about what's happening on the outside? What am I believing right now? What am I going to, for instance, one time when my kids created a, a situation where they were wrestling and they rolled on my son's glasses and they broke them. And I, I screamed at them. I, I, but what I had been doing right before that is I'd been carrying things in and out from the garage into the house, from the van, they were wrestling, they were making noise. And I was having this monologue in my head that no one helps me. No one sees how hard I'm working. I don't know if you've ever done anything like that, Kristen, where I just was like, and I was irritated and my house was getting cluttery and Christmas was coming and I wasn't ready. And, you know, I just had this. And then when they, when they fell and broke the glasses, I screamed at them in that moment, though, that really wasn't about the glasses. The glasses will need to be fixed. And that was a problem. But really what was happening inside me is that I was telling myself, people don't see you as valuable. I was living from that moment with the signs, right? And the clapping and all of that. That's where I was getting my value. Can we recognize and reveal, recognize what's going on inside us and reveal what is it that I'm believing right now? Mm, That's really good because we have these faulty core beliefs that affect our the way we think and view the world based on the life experiences. So that's all the technical things, you know, the technical way that the counselor may say, so this is what is going on. Yes. But what you're saying is, Lord, reveal to me, reveal to me, what am I believing on the inside right now that doesn't line up with your word, that doesn't line up with who you say I am? Yes. And my boys While they needed to be dealt with that they broke the glasses, they weren't the people that held those signs. And I yelled at them as if they were the people that held the signs. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So the next one, number three. Yeah. So step three is remember. So recognize what's going on in your body. Reveal what you're really focused on. Remember God's faithfulness. Where have I experienced God's faithfulness in previous circumstance? I link this with Psalm 145, 13 that says, the Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. You know, if we're able to hang on to what we can praise him for, where we've been thankful for the way that he's shown up for us before, then we can pause. That creates this pause, right? We recognize what's going on inside us, pause. We reveal what we're really thinking about right now. We think about God's promises, the ways that he's shown up in our lives before, maybe the way that he's shown up in someone's life, like a favorite Bible story, something like that. But what can we praise him for? Where has he shown up and offered us peace and hope and rest in other circumstances in our lives? That's really good because God's promises show not only the promises he's given us about our own personal life, but this is what his word says. And we can, you know, he tells us in his word to remind him of his word. We're to pray that back and to remind him and those promises such as, um, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. We see that on graduation cards all the time. Yes. But that was spoken to God's people when they were in captivity, when they were in the middle of pain, when they were in the middle of bondage. And that's God's promise to us in the middle of our pain, in the middle of our journey of healing. I know the plans I have for you. I know the plans I have for you, Angie. They're plans to prosper you and not to harm you, even though you feel like they are. My plans are to give you a hope and a future. So let's hold on to those promises and not to what your past experiences say who you are. Yes. 
Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, so good. So true, which is why in that step in particular, it's really important. It has been for me to have some of those, the, the verse that you just said, so to have some of those that are really important to me. Joshua 1, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you is one that I, I pull on often. I'm like, you do not leave me. You do not abandon me emotionally. You do not leave me. You are always here. So I belong with you even when I feel like I have no value and belong nowhere else. Yeah. When I feel all alone, when I feel that nobody understands, you will never leave me nor forsake me. That's one of the ones I pull on all the time. And then step four is receive. And the question is, how is God revealing his presence in this experience? John 14, 27 says, peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give you. Do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And I think this is where it comes together, right? This is where we make our decisions. So we know, we know we're reacting. We understand that that's coming from something else. We remember that God is good. So will we sit in that and receive his peace? Will we let it fill us? Will we let it cover us? You know, I think so often of the prodigal son story where the older son is angry because the younger son has wasted his inheritance. But really, as he interacts with his father, we realize that the older son is wasting his inheritance too, right? Because the father says, everything I have is yours. And that father says the same thing to his children. Everything I have is yours. The peace, the joy, the hope, the foundation, the stability, the love, the affirmation, all of that is yours. And so will you allow me to replace these things that you're believing about yourself with my everything? Yes. Okay. So number five. Five is repeat because this is (laughs) not a one and done. And so the question is, how do I offer myself grace with this process? How are we fully restored, right? And fully restoring, because that is part of this for me, at least it is. And uh, Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And so can we give a smidge of grace to ourselves in honor of the abundance of grace that he offers us? So how do we claim the abundance that God offers? I think there is no way to do it except for time with him. People ask me that question, Kristen, all the time. I have no other answer for that. We have to make time to spend with him. And that can look different for different people. It looks different in different seasons. But it does mean saying no to other things we're currently doing to make more space for him to talk to us, whether that's through journaling and reading, listening to music, getting out in nature, a combination of all of those things, silence, prayer, Bible study in community, serving in faith community. How are we connecting, not occasionally, but daily or multiple times a day to him? Well, and as you're saying that, I was just thinking that, you know, abundance, you know, we, we often associate abundance like, okay, God, you know, pour out your abundant blessing. And we think that it's like financial prosperity, prosperity, but it's actually his presence. Yes. Just because we accept the Lord into our life and we have an ongoing relationship with him doesn't mean that we're growing. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to, you know, the word says he takes us from glory to glory to glory. And so our connecting with him, like you said, having time with God is that we're saying, Lord, I'm not satisfied with this level of what I know of you yes. because Lord, there is so much to you and who you are. So God unfold those hidden things to me because it talks about that. He'll 
reveal his mysteries to us. So Lord, we want you to unfold those things to us because we are not satisfied with the mundane, with the everyday routine. God, we want to know you more. We want to live under your abundance, which is knowing him in a greater depth. And so then you know he has peace in a greater depth. You know his joy in a greater depth. You know all the characteristics of God in a greater depth. Yes. Yes. And there is no end to the greatness of depth. Yeah. Yeah, that I mean, that's that's until the moment we go home to be with Jesus. Yeah, is we are growing from glory to glory and and in that. Oh, Angie, it has been wonderful talking to you. How can people connect with you online? Because you talked about the five R's. So is there a way that they can connect with you and you have a handout for that? I do. I have a download that has all those R's and the questions and the verses. And if it's all right with you, Kristen, I will send you a link. I have one link that has the download. It connects to my website, the Facebook, the Instagram. It has some freebies there. So if you are willing to put that in your show notes, they can do, it'll be one link for all that kind of good stuff. Absolutely. I'll put it in our show notes. Thank you, Angie, for joining us today. I think we could literally talk for hours about this, but unfortunately, we only have a little bit of time to do this. But as Angie mentioned about the show notes, our show notes and all the links shared with us today, they can be found at my website, fullyrestored.love. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date on all of our shows. And I would so appreciate it if you would leave a rating as well on whatever platform you're listening to us on. I want to stay connected with you. So if you haven't found me yet on Instagram or my Facebook page, go and find me there because I want to have that relationship with you. Both of those are at author Kristen Klaus. I pray that this episode of the Fully Restored podcast ministered to you, encouraged you, and you have some new tools with the five R's that Angie shared that are to help you walk out your own fully restored story. And remember, friends, nothing or no one is beyond restoration with our Jesus.